everybody, welcome to Drive Through Review 456. Today we're going to talk about Kalis. Now, this is an older game, it is now 11 years old, came out in 2005, and it is my favorite game of all time. So, a little bit of a spoiler alert there. Uh, <laughs> I put it at the top game of my top 100 list, and I have this is actually the 2005 edition. You can see the box cover is probably different than what you'll find in the store. Uh, there's a more famous box cover with a really stern looking king on it, and then the new one I think doesn't have any people on it. Uh, I actually prefer this one because the guy looks pretty hopeful and optimistic about this castle and town that he's going to be a part of developing. I'll talk more about that in the review. Uh, but it's a worker placement game and sort of the game that gave worker placement its claim to fame, so to speak. It's not the first worker placement game ever, but it's kind of the first one that hit it big, I guess. Uh, it plays well from three to five. It actually plays two, but I hate the game with two. Uh, but before I get too much into the review part of it, let's jump into and look at how it works. Back in the day, I think it was kind of regarded as sort of a really heavy Euro. I don't know that it would be regarded as such now, but it does still, in my opinion, stand apart from just about all of the worker placement games that have come since then. So let's take a look at it and I'll tell you more what I think about it. Okay, here you can see the game set up for two players. I do kind of apologize. I've kind of blinged the game out a little bit, <laughs> being my favorite game. Uh, so most of the time, I think in all the editions, these come as cubes, but here's wood. So you have cubes representing wood. You'll have food and gold and stone and then cloth here. And so I've gotten all this stuff from various different uh, resources. Uh, this is Jamie Stegmeier's uh, like treasure chest. Uh, these three things here and the wood, uh, the wood, or the, excuse me, the food is from meeplesource.com and then this coins is actually the kind of like the official Kalis coins. You can actually get them from Mistari uh, itself. Uh, the coins that came with the game originally were pretty bad. I think they were like tiddlywinks. Uh, so here we've got all the pieces. The board I think looks just like this nowadays. I've seen some like collector's edition boards that actually looked horrible I thought so I just kept this one when those came out. And then you've got different buildings and things. So what you're doing, you can see here, you have the castle up here, and then you have this kind of road, and here you can see all the spots where different buildings are gonna be put. So you're kind of building the castle at the same time as you're constructing the town to sort of support the economy or whatever driven by the castle. Now it's a worker placement game, and everybody has these little cylinder pawns here. You'll be putting these out, and then you don't take the action right away of the spot here. So you can see, for example, this one here will give you some wood or a brown cube, and you'll take that. So after everybody's done placing workers and past and whatnot, you're gonna start here, you can see this sort of gate here, and then work your way down and activate the buildings in that order. So if there is a worker on one of those buildings, you're gonna activate that. So you do have to know about the order of operations, and as a new player, uh, definitely this will happen. Sometimes even as an experienced player, where you get kind of the chicken before the egg. Maybe you needed wood before you wanted to build a wood building, which is what this uh, little space here lets you do. You can see you construct a wood building. Well, maybe you needed an extra wood Wood and you didn't get that until afterwards. So you have to, uh, you know, keep that in mind in terms of when and what you're going to do. Now you can see there's some printed spaces here on the board that already have some buildings. Even all the way down here is a spot where you can actually get gold. You could, if you were silly on the first round, you, what you could go ahead and place there. You'll never get to be able to activate that, and I'll explain why. Uh, but there are these six pink buildings, and these are randomly distributed to start the game. It's kind of one of the only random things 
in the game besides turn order to start the game are these six pink buildings. So you put these out and shuffle these up. So these are a little bit different. And then you put the sheriff here and the provost on this spot. You can see these two uh, white disc slash cylinders. These always go on this spot here. And I'll explain more of what they do. Now what you're going to do on your turn is you're going to place out workers. Now every time you place a worker, it's going to cost you a buck. You'll get some starting money and then you'll have to pay a buck every time you place a worker because they are a worker and you are paying them for their deed. And again, you can place in these little buildings up here as well. And then let's just put some workers out here. Uh, let's see, he went there and then this guy over here. And then let's say you want, you're coming back to orange. He puts a guy here and then green wants to put a guy out, but he's actually going to pass. So you can see each player has a disc on this bridge here and the first player to pass is going to go down here and they're actually going to get an extra dollar for passing first. And then everybody else, when they're placing their workers out, it, the price has now gone up. It's not going to be $2 per worker to put out. So you can actually drive up the, pa uh, the price by passing early and so on. And so now let's say Orange doesn't have any money left and so they'll pass there. And then you're going to start to resolve the action spaces. So you're going to start here. Now this spot is very interesting. It doesn't usually come into play unless you're playing a five player game. Even then it's kind of rare. What you can actually do is you can take your worker here as the first thing that we resolve as we go on this track and take him and move him to uh, a free spot that there isn't already a worker there. So that's kind of interesting sometimes. Uh, this one here you will collect $3 and you can see money is very important because again you need money to pay your workers as you put them out. And then you can see you move to this spot here and this allows you to move the provost. And the provost is this small disc here. And you can move him forward or backward three spaces. And the reason that you do that is let's say we moved it back three spaces. One, two, three. And then if there were any workers here that were past the provost they would not get to activate, but we're not screwed yet. If green was here, he still got a chance to move the provost. So let's say orange went and moved it back three spaces here to kind of screw green out of the spot that he had paid a buck and put his worker out. Then we're going to go into here. This is a jousting area. You can see there you have to pay $1 and one cloth to the bank and you can get a favor. Now there's a basic version of the game where a favor is just three points, but that's not interesting. It might be fun to do that for your first game. Uh, I can't remember if we did that or not. I want to say we didn't, but I could see that being a nice sort of intro to the game where you skip out on the royal favors, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute. But that's kind of like a little crunchy stuff to add on top of your basic worker placement and resource stuff. So we're going to go there and then you're going to have the little turn order spot here. And in a two-player game, uh, this doesn't matter. This is the stable here. Uh, you, you won't use a spot. It, it doesn't exist. But if you wanted to go first next turn, you would place your worker there. And then if you wanted to go second and third and so on, and then all the other players uh, will shift their workers up. So that will resolve. You will reset the turn order. And the turn order track is up here uh, next to the favorite track, which I kind of mentioned before. But you'll reset all that up there. And then you have this in space, which is very interesting. So let's say green was here. He, instead of going there, he went here. And what will happen is he will shift over then at this point when we're resolving the in. And then because he's on this spot, no matter who's passed and when, placing a worker is always going to cost you a buck. So even if like multiple people had passed and now let's say it was $3 to put a worker out, if you're in the in, then you have a discount across the board. And then the next player, let's say orange came in here, they wouldn't have, that wouldn't happen until the next turn, which he'll knock green out. Now you do lose this worker. He's stuck here. So you have one less worker. There's no like 
getting new workers in this game. You just have the number of workers that you have, but you need the money to actually pay them. And then after we resolve all of these, you're gonna go into this little spot here, and this is kind of like the provost phase. So if we zoom out here, we can see that, remember we moved the provost here in this spot, uh, orange did, and now each player has the ability to pay one to three coins, or even zero, and then they can move the provost one to three spaces forward or backwards, similar to this, but it's gonna cost you a buck per space. So let's pretend green pays two bucks to move the provost here, and then they know that orange only has uh, a buck, so the orange could move it back one space, but that wouldn't eliminate green, because green. if you're on the same space as the provost, you can activate that. So you can have some negotiation here, especially, of course, with uh, more players, you know, hey, if you pay three bucks and move it back three, I'll pay another three bucks and move back another three when it comes to my thing here, because as you do that, you move your discs off. Uh, and then you can really screw a player that maybe got a little bit too far ahead of themselves in terms of where the provost was at. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But you're going to do that, and then you're going to walk through and resolve all these buildings. And you can see here, for example, this is get a food or a cloth, pink or purple. This is you get a brown cube. Here you can see the spot to actually build a building. And there's two types of buildings that you can build, at least immediately. You have wooden buildings, and you can see the cost here is always wood and something else, so wooden food. A white cube here will be any other cube, you know, so on. So you put one of these out, when you take that action to build it, you'll put it on the next available space on the track, and then you will put out a uh, little house here of your color to show that you own the building. And you also will score, I should say, the victory points there. Now, when somebody else goes and uses your building, you will get a victory point. So if, in this case, the green player wanted to get two food or a cloth, then I would score victory points. So it's kind of key uh, to put out certain buildings to get a lot of points during the course of the game because it's a really cool building and everybody wants to use it. And just a quick mention, depending on the buildings that are actually decided to be built in the game is really going to change up uh, you know what's available of course and what strategies people want to do and you can simply just go and select there's not a ton of buildings to look through but the first time you play it or so it'd be a little bit intimidating but here is the uh, wood buildings then you have here a stack of stone buildings but you need to actually build this guy before you can actually build stone buildings so if nobody cares about building this then you're going to be limited on that uh, so once this is activated, people can use this and activate it to build stone. I will say this one I have, uh, a buddy of mine actually uh, made this special for me. It's a little bit thinner. I think this is in all the new editions. I do recommend people use it or find it. I think all the new editions have it. This is a way to convert gold into uh, victory points. This is the jeweler here. Uh, so it did not come with the very, very first edition, but I think it comes in all the new ones. Uh, there's some other building types, but that's the main building types that you can build. So again, you kind of walk down here. This one is you can trade in any resource for four bucks uh, over here. Here you can actually see there's a spot on the board printed where you can build a wooden building. You walk all the way down here and do all that stuff. After you've resolved all of the, anything that's on the street here, if you had put a worker up here, then you could also build batches into the castle. So when you do that, it'll become your turn if you're first in here, so orange will get the first shot to build a batch. Now batch is always one food plus two other different resources. So a wood and a stone or a cloth, even gold, which would be silly, but you could do that. And you can build as many batches as you can pay for. So let's say orange can build two batches. They have enough 
uh, resources. They have two food and maybe uh, two wood and two stone, and they can build two. So they would get, you can see here at the beginning of the game, five points per batch, so they would get 10 points. You will get penalized if you go in here and you don't build a batch or you can't, you'll lose two victory points. But at the end of this phase, whoever built the most batches will then get a royal favor. Again, that's either three victory points or you use this little royal flavor thing here, which I'll show you in a second. If, let's say, both players had built the same number of batches, then whoever was in there first and built their batches first would then uh, get the, the royal favor bonus. You can see here, you are sort of at the beginning building the dungeon and then the walls and then finally the tower of the castle itself. As you fill these up, you'll sort of jump into the next section. So the victory points were going to go down, so you get four and then three when you're building these different sections. But there's another way that you will trigger the completion of these sections before you've actually even filled them up. So if the provost here is behind or on the same spot as the sheriff, then what's going to happen is the sheriff will move up one space and then the provost will catch up. So he's going to kind of slowly travel down here. Now, if for some reason the provost is ahead of the sheriff, then the sheriff is going to jump two spaces and then he'll catch up. And then at, at that point, you're going to see if the stage has been completed. So again, as I said up here, the stage can be completed if you fill in the sections or once you reach that section here on the street. So if we kind of slow about building and then this guy jumps up a little bit faster than normal, as soon as he hits this spot or above, then we're gonna have a scoring for that section. And you can see there's other sections here. Here's the walls and then finally down here. And this is when the game will end. Whenever we either fill up which never happens, well sometimes, but mostly it's gonna end by the provost and the sheriff getting to this spot and then that will be the last round of the game. But when we hit one of these sections, we're gonna have a scoring for that section and it's different for the dungeon and then the walls and the towers. Now you can see here, we have a little legend here underneath the favor track for each of the different sections. Now here, you can see if you built no uh, batches into the dungeon, you're gonna lose two victory points. So also filling that up can also prevent you from doing that. And then that penalty goes up. So if you don't build any in the walls before that section is triggered, then minus three and then minus four here on the tower. Now you will get a bonus if you built kind of above and beyond. So in the first section, if you built two or more batches, you get a royal favor. And then here you can see if you built like even up to five, you will get three royal favors. Now, anytime you get a royal favor, you're going to take a look at this little track up here and you can see there's sort of a limit. So as you get royal favors, you can move a disc up any of these four tracks, and then, but you are sort of prevented from moving into the next sort of area until each of these different uh, things is completed. So until you complete the dungeon, you can't push your disc marker up a little bit. And you choose to basically kind of target your strategy based on which of these tracks you go for. However, let's say during uh, one of these scorings here, you got multiple royal favors. Or sometimes you can get multiple royal favors uh, by building a building. You can see this one gives you two royal favors when you build that. If you get multiple royal favors in a particular phase, you can't go up the same track more than once. So if we built like three batches here, got two royal favors, I was the orange player, I'd have to go one here and then one there and so on. Now it doesn't prevent me later on that, even on the same turn from going up the same track. Uh, so these are the tracks and they're pretty interesting. So this one is just straight victory points. So you move up, you get a point. You move up here, you get two, three, four, five. Here you'll get money, which is always useful because money is super useful in this game. I can't explain that enough. Uh, this one is probably the least useful track. If you're playing with less than five players, 
uh, especially if you're a newer player, I would say ignore the track altogether. But it can be useful sometimes. You can get a food, uh, you can get uh, the, either of these two resources, and it's worth noting that you can get anything behind it as well. So as soon as I move up here, I could grab uh, one of the abilities uh, you know, previous to the track. And then here is probably, probably the most useful. As you move up here, nothing happens. Next time you move up, you can immediately build a wooden building without paying the wood. And you do that at the instant that you move it up there. That's not like a discount or anything. And this can be a very interesting kind of thing to time, as well as kind of setting yourself up for a really big turn where maybe you send some batches to the castle, you get a lot of points, you get a lot of favors, you move up here, get yourself the resource you need, and then also with the other favor, you know, you trigger a building action. And again, remember, you can do any of these sort of backwards. So if I was up to here, and I move up to this spot here, then I could still build a wooden building if I really wanted to. Now these other ones here, you can see, this one allows you to build a residence, which I haven't talked about, and that's these, and that's without actually paying a dollar. Now normally, you would have to go on this spot, and this would have to be built, this is the lawyer here, and you'd have to pay a dollar and a cloth and then you can create a residence, but this allows you to do it for one cheaper. And this other one allows you to upgrade a, a residence here into a uh, blue building. And the blue buildings are one of the ways to score lots of points. So you can see this one will give you 14 points and two favors, but you can see it costs you a lot of stone and gold. All these cost you gold. And there's different amounts of points, and there's a really big one in here. This is a 25-pointer, this cathedral, which might as well be a castle. It's kind of funny. Um, but you need to actually build these on top of the residences. Now the residents don't just go out here on the board like that. When you get this trigger action from building the residence or the lawyer, you have to replace one of your buildings and or one of these pink buildings. And you will take that out of the game. So in effect, you're sort of taking that resource out of the game. So if I build over this, well, that's gonna be less food and cloth in the game. Or maybe I built this one earlier and people have been really enjoying that one, but now I can take it away from them and then put it on here. Now, the thing to remember is you're going to get uh, $2 to straight income, but for each residence, you get an additional dollar. So that can be very, very useful. Now, there are also two blue buildings that will also give you income uh, because again, if you build over the green one, you're gonna lose that income, but these two here will allow you to still get income and this one even gives you $2 extra income at the round. And there's some other interesting buildings, kind of your typical stuff, like this one is the alchemist. You can turn any two cubes into a gold or four cubes into two gold. Now, there's the gold mine here. Remember, I talked in the beginning about how silly it could be. You know, you could put a guy out there in the first turn, but he's not gonna activate because you, unless you spend somehow magically all this money to get them, you know, all the way, to get the provost up there, it's gonna be behind the times there. Uh, so that's the game. You just keep playing until you finish all three sections of the castle, either by filling up the sections or moving this guy down the track. And so the game isn't gonna take a fixed number of rounds or anything. Now you will get some points at the end of the game. You will get three points for each a gold resource, one point for any of the not gold resources, and then for every four bucks you get a point. And that's the game. Okay, so that is Kalis, the best game ever forever in the universe. <laughs> uh, so what do I think about the game? Well, I talked a lot about it in my top 100 video, but let me kind of review it, you know, sort of formally. I really enjoy the game. Let's talk player count. Two players is not very fun. I like, I kind of enjoyed it when I first was playing the game way back when, but it just kind of wears on you. Like you just miss out on so much 
of the game that it's not really worth doing. And you have this sort of stupid tension at the beginning of the game with the Provost because you can have somebody just like drive back the Provost to the first space of the game. I've seen that happen, you know, a number of times where somebody takes the Provost space, then they pass, so they, they move it back three and then three again, and so then it's at the first space, and then it's just kind of like, oh cool, what a waste of a round. <laughs> now you can still have that with multiple players, but it's a little bit less likely because there's more players trying to push it up and keep it in a reasonable position. Um, so that always kind of sets me off a little bit about the game. And then you just kind of got in this, this really zero sum kind of idea there where like I took this resource, this resource is gone, now you need this, and you can really sort of kind of count up the resources that you need to get like the cool blue building that gives you a lot of points or the certain sets of resources to uh, turn in at the castle and give you points and favors there. Uh, so two players sucks. Okay, now five players is probably the next weakest count, but I still really enjoy it with five. The game is ultra, ultra tight with five. It's very, very cutthroat. There's not, doesn't really grow itself at all. I don't think it's too tight. I don't think it's broken, but it's super, super tight. And like I said, because of that, that favor track that actually you get the extra resources is definitely worth it with five because the resources are going to be limited. So you do kind of sometimes need to say, you know what, I'll take a favor here so I can get that resource and then not worry about getting it when we do the whole worker placement stuff. Now it excels at three and four. I don't know which one I like better. I could probably sit down there and play the game 10 times and tell you which one I like better, but um, I don't really remember which one I like better. You know, I like it both. Uh, four is a little tighter, obviously, than three. Um, but you have a lot of interesting elements with this game that you do not have with, I think, most worker placement games that are on the market. Um, the th interesting thing about it is, so you have the, let's just talk about the castle batches. So you have that kind of race to be there first, and it, you know you kind of you want to lead into there, but then you're sort of telegraphing which uh, resources you need to commit because you want to go in there and get the favor bonus at the end of the round. That's really what's worth it. You know, you get some cool victory points there, but you want to be the first place person that's able to trigger a royal favor and move up those tracks. Because that's kind of like your engine, getting those favors and sort of showing off in front of the king is uh, very very important in this game. Uh, so I like that sort of racing aspect, and so you have that sort of tension to sort of sort of commit to that. But again, you have the order of operations because as you snake down that track, you're not really sure which resources you're gonna be getting because somebody might jack the provost back on you, and you might just you know not have the resource that you need anyway based on what buildings have been built that game and all kinds of stuff to really chew on and consider. So that's a really interesting balance of how those sort of play out. Um, the other thing I like is paying for your workers to go out. Uh, it's just straight money. It's not like necessarily directly tied to the resources. So they're decoupled in a way that it's important just to go get money, to get money, to have money to basically bribe the provost moving forward or backward, and then also just having money to even put workers out. And again, if people pass early, that's going to drive sort of the, the price up of you know paying the workers and putting them out because you know billy's workers have already gone to sleep why do i have to do this work you need to pay me more <laughs> anyway so that's kind of fun as well you've got these little like spots of abuse on the board like the joust you pay a buck 
and a cloth and you just get a favor and that's it. And that can be really cool and that happens early in the turn. You can turn those favors into anything. Um, so that's kind of just a cool little thing so I can get this favor. I know I got the early favor and then I'm gonna build a building later. It's gonna be these other favors and which is gonna trigger this favor and allows me to build another building. So again, you have that kind of like, a little bit kind of like a Feldy kind of thing happening where it's a little bit trickier to get to that and you've gotta be uh, you know, really careful because if you feel like you get too cocky about what I'm capable of, then you're gonna get screwed out of it because either the provost is gonna get moved out or you're just gonna kind of misread the resource row and how that, that track's gonna play out. Um, I like the whole idea of you know building a building and then letting other people use it and you get sort of a residual benefit. Oh, one thing I didn't mention is sometimes when people use your building, you'll get like a good or something. I didn't mention that. Some of these, like this one for example, the person places on there, they get, you get two stone and a cloth, and then you as the owner will get a stone or a cloth of your choice. There's a few like that as well. Um, and because the game is so tight in that way, uh, a lot of those kinds of things, you think, oh, it's a stone or a cloth. It's not like Lords of Waterdeep where it's like, oh yeah, whatever, extra resource. Like it's, it's a really like a tighter Lords of Waterdeep if you really wanted to compare it in that way. And again, Lords of Waterdeep kind of a thing where you, you, know, you build a building and other people go there and you get a little bonus for that. Um, now, like I said, in the walkthrough, depending on the buildings that are built and kind of when, is really gonna dictate what the best strategy to do is. Because if nobody builds, uh, like the lawyer or the different buildings to build other buildings, then that favor track that uh, is all about building buildings is gonna be super, super important. So, but if those other buildings are out or you have multiples of some of those buildings, it's not gonna be that important because it's gonna be kind of easier to get into and build those buildings and not worry about having to generate a favor to do that. You can just kind of go, you know, put your worker out there and go. Again, kind of depending on the order of the track because sometimes you have to kind of go through and get all the resources and you just go, well, I'm not gonna have them this turn, but I better take turn order so I can get on that building next turn. And so this, that whole, process, this is one of the more strategic worker placement games where some of the others recently have been a little bit more tactical because you have that track and you have, you know, just the order of the different buildings that there's like an economy of actions that are available. So, you know, you just like this, I won't have this action this turn or somebody else has got it. And the game is just like wrapped around that. Uh, you know, it's not just the worker placement stuff that is limiting what people can do and dictating the scope of the game, it's just everything in the game that's doing that. Uh, yeah, and so you have like the negotiation phase, which I really like with moving the provost. That can be very fun because you're like, uh, Billy's gonna get a massive, massive turn. Let's spend collectively eight bucks <laughs> to screw the provost all the way back and you know screw him out of that. Now that's precious money that we're spending. That's not an easy decision to make because you might be like, yeah, but I don't have any money after we're done with that, and I'm only gonna get $2 income next turn to put my workers out. I'm not gonna chip in for that. And then you can say, you know what, I'll chip in a buck. And then, you know, we've done it where, not necessarily with my new group, but my old group, we used to do it like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll put in two bucks, and it comes my turn, I'm like, nope, not putting in the two bucks. <laughs> I mean, it's perfectly legitimate. Now, you just play however your group is comfortable playing. Now, people can have their feelings hurt for sure with that, but uh, that's just a group thing. So that's kind of mechanically why I really like it. I like the theme quite a bit because it's one of those where you build up the castle. It's not very visual because you're just putting out those little houses, but 
uh, building up the towns is really the important part of the game. And I've just talked about how important that is mechanically in terms of the actions that are available. But it's visually, you know, you build up this road and the town kind of sprawls out around the castle. And so that kind of works thematically. So, you know, you got to pay your workers, you got to bribe the, the provost and the sheriff and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, then the town sort of just evolves and you get more cooler buildings and, you know, with new workers and contractors are in there. So, that you know, the, the economy starts to thrive a little bit and grow. And so, you know, back in 2005, when I first played this game, you know, I was like, well, this is really, really cool. I mean, it was, and it was still kind of like my early stages or whatever of, of playing different Euro games and board games. And I was like, just really kind of impressed and just overawed and everything at how the game kind of just all fit together. You know, to me, it was super thematic. And, I, and even at the, at the time, like, I couldn't tell you like, oh, this game is thematic. Cause that like word wasn't even in my brain. I was at my friend's house you know, playing the game. I bought this game, actually. This is the copy I bought. And we used to play, sorry, I'm gonna go in storytelling mode here in a minute. But, uh, you know, we used to play uh, Puerto Rico and Power Grid and I played Catan and, you know, a bunch of other games like that. And and I, I wanted, to, I, I loved all those games, and, except for Puerto Rico. And, um, you know, so I, I got on Board Game Geek and, like looked around and my friend had an account on board game geek i just, I just kind of surfed around and i think kalos was like the number one game or the number two game or something it was just number one and so i was like i want to get a game you know and try one of these new games because we played through the others a few times and it wasn't like i was sick of them but you know cult of the new and all that and so i got in there and i read a little bit about kalos and people said it was really strategic and it was low luck and you know at that time we were really into that um and so I got it and read the rules and all that stuff and took it to the group and we played it. And I mean, back then we used to play it for a while there. We played it like every week that we, that we had game night. And one night, you know, I think at least one night we played it three times in a row and we, you know, we, everybody really liked it and stuff. Um, and it's just, I think there's a little bit of nostalgia there, but I can't like just remove myself from it. Um, I do think objectively it's a good solid game from three to five players, excellent with three to four, lots of meaty, crunchy stuff. And if you don't like negotiation stuff or really like hardcore screwage or screwing up, this is not going to be for you. This is like, I wouldn't say it's like a heavier or more complex Euro. It's just kind of like a little bit more like a hardcore, like meaner Euro to me. And that might sh shy you away from it. There's not like, you know, engine building on your own player board. This is all, everything's happening on the board and you're fighting and cutting each other for stuff. Um, but again, the nostalgia kicks in because I feel like this was, I really connected with this and I don't think it's because I was the one that bought it, but that's what, that's what happened, you know, and it was kind of the first game that I bought that I researched and all that stuff. Um, because I, I really felt engaged with the theme and I was like really just surprised and overjoyed of like, I got a game and, and it was good, you know, and it was really, really good. And I, I really fell in love with the game. And it really just kind of immersed me in like all the ways that I'm saying, you know, we had the, the town happening and the, you know, you're bribing the, the dirty bailiff and the dirty provost and all that. Um, and this, the mechanics are so mean and cutthroat, it really sort of evoked that sort of just cutthroat medieval, you know, every man for himself stuff that, you know, I'm sure happened 
you know, to, like to the nth degree. And there was probably lots of murders and stuff back then because I don't know, I just don't place my stock in my ancestors. That's a whole other conversation. Uh, but you know, I think things were just a little bit nastier back then. And I don't think anybody would argue too much about that. Um, but the game kind of feels like that to me. And it's just, but it's also got the kind of innocent theme of a town and a castle sort of building up and you're kind of doing it collectively and all that. And that's this kind of thing really has spoken to me and kind of driven my my likes of games, you know, and just that the sort of collectiveness where you're all together and operating in the same space and all that. Anyway, that's enough Poindexter. This game's really fun. I would definitely get, take a look at it. I know you can probably get it cheaper nowadays because they keep printing it. Um, so I think it keeps selling decently anyway. Um, so definitely take a look at this if you got three or four players um, and I think you have a good time with it. And it's really, really cutthroat though. So if you're going to get your feelings hurt about it, uh, you know, or play with somebody that, you know, could get upset and be irritated by it, then don't get it. But I really, really, really like this game. <laughs> okay. Oh, I almost forgot. Uh, I meant to bring this up. I have this ranked as a nine on Board Game Geek, but I have other games like Pandemic Legacy ranked a 10. Now, the reason is you say, well, Joel, what's your favorite game of all time? Why don't you rank it a 10? Because it sucks with two players. <laughs> so it's almost like if the box said three to five on it, I might rank it a 10, but it says two. And the two player game is not a 10. The three to five player uh, experience is probably, you know, a nine or 10. But I try to do my numbers on Board Game Geek kind of objectively. Like it's kind of like this is my judgment on the game. And, but it's sort of very, very, very objectively. I don't know. But the subjective, of course, gets in there. But that's why this is a nine. I think Tiger Team Freddy's and Pandemic Legacy is a 10. I probably have some other 10s on there. I can't remember what they are. It doesn't matter. So numbers are pointless. Okay, 